Welcome to Indie Insider, the weekly show where we chat with video game industry professionals about their projects, their stories, their advice to others, and, of course, their thoughts on everything indie. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and this week on the show, I've brought on Raghav Mather, co-founder of Blackshell Media. Blackshell Media is, of course, the indie video game publishing and marketing firm that presents this very podcast, and Raghav and I chat at length about the podcast his thoughts on the indie video game market, and how the company is continuing to grow from audience feedback. As always, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the internet. And please, leave a review. We want your feedback as well, so we can continue to grow. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Finally, special thanks to Raghav for joining us on the show, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, without further ado, co-founder of Black Shell Media, Raghav Mother. Welcome to Indie Insider Today. I am talking to Raghav Mather of Black Shell Media. As promised, Raghav, you were on the show last week for the Nintendo Switch panel that we had, but I'm happy to get you on for your very own episode. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, a little tired this morning, but uh, I'm doing all right. You know, I think that's expected after a uh, Friday night, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah, that's fair. I understand. So, uh, well, how was your week? Uh, what is a week like? F- oh, sorry. What is a week like when you're working with Black Shell Media? Uh, it's pretty casual, honestly. Like, we don't have a lot of very strict uh, schedules. So, you know, as uh, our listeners hopefully know, Blackshell Media, the company that I founded and work at, is an indie game, you know, publishing and marketing studio. We're working with over 60 developers from around the world who are making their own games. And what's cool about our approach is that we take a very sort of hands-off approach to the actual development process. So when you ask me a question like, what does a typical week look like? It really depends on what that week is looking like for our development partners. Because if all of our developers are, you know, just kind of full steam ahead, heads down, just grinding and working on the game and not really pushing out too much content that they need promotion on, mm-hmm. then for us it's a pretty relaxed week. Maybe we're doing some stuff on the blog, you know, trying to figure out if we can give a talk at some event meeting people, uh, you know, going to podcasts and things like that. But if our developers are, you know, coming to us near launch week or they're, uh, they have a major update they want released, then that week could be a little more hectic. So this last week we actually launched Card Quest uh, on Friday the 20th, uh, which is a brand new title that we released. It's an action card-based kind of action game. Uh, super fun, super hardcore. It's very, very difficult. So this last week, you know, we were busy emailing journalists and uh, doing social media stuff for that. But, uh, yeah, typical week. I mean, it really varies, man. Yeah, I get that. So uh, it is important to note, and I, I believe I noticed this, or I noted it in the beginning of the episode, but I'll note it again here. Um, Black Show Media is the presenting company of the Indie Insider podcast. So, um, you know, your company, which you helped found along with Daniel Doan, I believe, mm-hmm. um, 
you guys support this blog that you put out there. You um, support authors who write articles for this blog. You put out about video game development and exploring some of those things. And then also along with that, you have the Indie Insider podcast where, you know, we talk to people throughout the industry and, and share thoughts and ideas and advice for aspiring developers. Um, so uh, can you tell me a little bit about Black Shell Media as a whole? What was it like to found this company and what was the idea and, and methodology behind uh, this company as a whole? Sure. Uh, so it started off when Daniel started making Sanctuary RPG, which, um, as I think you know, and I'm hopefully some of our listeners know, is our flagship title. It's a fully mm-hmm. ASCII-based, uh, you know, text-based RPG that runs in a command line, actually. A lot of fun. Uh, we spent about, I think, so Daniel started developing that in late September 2012, I believe, just as kind of a part-time, you know, a hobby project. Towards early 2013, he started posting about it on Reddit, gained a bunch of traction because, as you can imagine, in 2013, even not that many ASCII games out there. Like, ASCII had its heyday with, you know, NetHack and Zork and all those titles of Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. I mean, you got Dwarf Fortress, but even that's a really niche community. And so he started posting about it on Reddit. People really dug the game. They they appreciated what he was doing. They appreciated the kind of artistic value and the gameplay elements in there. Daniel, by that point, had been designing games and working on different kinds of projects for several years. So the game was pretty solid in terms of, you know, the the gameplay mechanics and the combat loop and things like that. Uh, He got a bunch of volunteers and people to help him out on Reddit. You know, he was having people help with art and writing and um, programming and all kinds of stuff. And I was one of the people that joined on just, again, as kind of a hobby project to help out with the marketing side of things. Um, I come from kind of a business background and I'd been, you know, dabbling with some freelance projects, but uh, I hadn't really ever worked hands-on with an indie title before then, and I loved, you know, the unique message of Sanctuary RPG. I'm not a huge, you know, kind of deep RPG-type gamer. I much prefer, you know, like, more adventure titles or they're kind of roguelike titles. Sure. But I appreciated the unique kind of ASCII qualities of the game. And so I joined on in, I think it was July 2013. Uh, Blackshell Media at that time was just Blackshell Games. We were just focusing on Sanctuary. We had a team of, I think at the peak, probably, like, over 50 people between, you know, just random high school kids volunteering in their spare time to, you know, Daniel and myself and a couple of other writers and key people that were working on the actual core gameplay. We had all these testers, and yeah, it was was huge, and we had the subreddit to manage all of it. We kept hitting the front page of Reddit, and we got a bunch of popularity. At one point, um, Notch, like the creator of Minecraft Notch, donated $100 to uh, Sanctuary saying that he liked what we were doing with the game, and we exchanged a couple of emails back and forth, so that's kind of my my claim to fame, I guess, is that I worked on a game that Notch liked. Um... But, uh, yeah, but so things kept going, and then around mid-2014, by that point, you know, as you can imagine, when you've got a hobby project that's so niche and not making any money, people are going to fall off the wagon in terms of motivation. So we had a bunch of people fall off the wagon, and finally the core team came down to, I want to say, like, five or six people, um, who then... We we were on itch.io, we were kind of just, we had the game out for free in a very basic form, uh, we were accepting donations for it, and then we decided that we wanted to kind of expand on the content and get it on Steam as a paid title. So we worked with a distributor, Plugin Digital, we kind of you know solidified that core team of, I believe it's six people um, that we're working with, you know, in terms of writing and art and everything, mm-hmm. had a someone do a complete visual overhaul of all the art assets, because we were using a lot of, you know, art assets that volunteers had given or that were open source, and if we were going to Steam, we wanted it to, A, look a lot better, and B, not be in any legal trouble for, you know, using those right, kinds sure. of assets. So we had to completely overhaul the game, rebranded it as Black Edition, and uh, launched it on Early Access in... Oh, shoot, that was, like, December 2014, I believe. And then it was on Early Access just for, like, two or three months, during which time we kept, you know, iterating and working on the game... Uh, and then finally, Sanctuary left Early Access in f- on February 
I had the date memorized. I'm blanking right now, though. Uh, still too early in the morning. Uh, it was, I think, February like 12th, 2015, we launched out of Early Access. Now, in the middle of 2014, um, as you can imagine, when you're working on one project for that long, you get kind of burned out. So Daniel had started working on this other game that he was kind of, he didn't really have a title for it. It was a top-down, twin-stick, you know, action game, super fast-paced and frenetic. Um, we, it later went on to become Overture, which is our second biggest uh, title as Black Shell Games. That we were kind of working on simultaneously along with Black Edition. You know, it was kind of, once the bulk of the programming had been done and we were waiting on just the artists and stuff for the visual overhaul and waiting on people like Dorian to get us more content for the uh, for the writing of the game, uh, we were just kind of, you know, like I said, dabbling with these side projects. And Overture ended up becoming one that was super feasible. People liked it. All the testers that we showed it to were liking it. Uh, we ran a Kickstarter for it on January 1st, 2015 which was successfully funded in, I think, two or three weeks. Got greenlit in like a week. We launched on Steam. Again, huge, you know, great feedback from the critics, from the fans. And it was around this time that we realized, like, holy crap, you know, we're, we're pretty decent at this whole marketing thing. Like, we, there are a lot of indie games out there. And, I mean, granted, back then, even, you know, in 2015, 2014, there were far fewer games than there are right now. Um, there were a lot of indie developers that were struggling to get noticed. Now, with us, because we had already established connections with, you know, a player base who liked our games, with journalists who knew our brand and who were familiar with the kinds of games that we were making, we realized that we could actually offer these uh, marketing services as a service for other people that they could pay for or we could do publishing with. And I believe, you know, over the course of 2015, we kind of slowly ramped up our publishing operations. Uh, or I should say, over the first half of 2015, we slowly ramped up our publishing operations. I think in the summer sale of 2015, we had eight titles uh, going into the summer sale. Oh, wow. Then we kept growing, and in the summer sale of 2016, we had something like uh, 58 or 60 titles in the summer sale. <laughs> so wow, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, it kind of expanded pretty rapidly. Um, and since then, you know, we've just been kind of focusing on... Yes, we know we want to help indie developers, we want to put out content like the blog, we want to do this podcast, we want to help people with marketing consultation and publishing, obviously, but also, you know, how do we continually provide value for these developers, uh, because that's what it's all about, you know, when we can help developers succeed, then we succeed, and the market as a whole succeed, which means that we succeed even more. Um, and so, you know, now, like, we're looking to, uh, again, just figure out what are the pain points that developers are having when it comes to marketing, because, as I'm sure you can imagine, you've talked to a lot of developers, a lot of developers, um, even if they are very good programmers and very good artists and animators, sometimes the business side of things and the marketing side of things can seem like a bit of an enigma. Yeah, it, it definitely can, and, and that's something we hear a lot on the Indie Insider Show is, um, you know, either from developers who are, you know, working for their first time, trying to figure things out, or whether it's from people who have been on the other side of that and, and who, you know, want to share the, that insight and that resource with others. So uh, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's very helpful. But I want to dive just a little bit deeper into it if I can. Yeah. So I'm an aspiring developer. I've built this, you know, uh, little PC game, something very simple. And I think Blackshell Media might be a company I want to look at in partnering with. Mm -hmm. Where do I start? What does that process look like? What do you guys look for as Black Shell Media when you're deciding to partner with somebody? Sure. So we have five selection criteria that we look at when we're vetting kind of games and uh, and projects. They are fit. So how well does it fit in? How well does the game fit in with you know our catalog of games and the kinds of games that we want to work with in terms of you know genre and everything. Uh, the idea or the concept, so the game itself, like, is it a cool enough idea? Does it have a hook? Could I write an effective press release for this? Uh, the polish, so, you know, how far along is the game? What steps are going to be taken to make sure that it's as in as pristine condition as possible? 
Uh, we're gonna look at marketability. So yes, it's a cool concept. It's a very polished game, but is it kind of too out there for the commercial market? Because obviously, you know, we lo I love artistic games. I love artistic, uh, super out there kind of games and movies and things like that. But Blackshell Media does publish a lot more of the kind of traditional bread and butter, uh, you know, roguelike action adventure type games. Uh, so it's a lot more of a commercial endeavor. So we look at and make sure that those games not only fit in with the branding of our platform of our uh, catalog, excuse me, but that we can also sell them. And then we look at the developer. So, you know, how many people are on the team? What's their experience like? Are they going to be receptive to feedback? Because we definitely like to make sure that we are giving developers our feedback and, you know, running them uh, with, through testers and playtesters and uh, QA testing and all kinds of stuff. And we look at how receptive is the developer to feedback. How likely is it that they're actually going to finish the product? Because we've had a lot of developers that, you know, come to us that seem super promising and then end up falling off the wagon completely, you know, two months sure. into it. So we definitely want to make sure that we're working with the developer. Uh, and it's, we like to, we don't like to form kind of, you know, company-client relationships. We much prefer to form, you know, partnerships, right? So if you're publishing with us, we're going to be, you know, Skyping with you and chatting. We're going to be emailing back and forth, sharing ideas. Uh, you know, I, I often send emails to all of our, and I think you get these emails too, Logan. Like, I send emails to all of our partners and, and uh, our team about, like, what my holidays were like. You know, oh, for Thanksgiving I did this. My winter break was like this. And it's a very, you know, personal kind of relationship. So I want to make sure that the developer is not only someone who's, smart enough, talented enough, and resourceful enough to make the game, but also someone who I wouldn't mind, you know, kicking back and having a drink with. So we, we definitely, you know, it's kind of a very, uh, a very holistic approach uh, that we take to evaluating games. We definitely don't just look for, is the game going to be, you know, the next Minecraft, so to speak? And we definitely don't just look for, is the developer going to be someone nice that I can buddy-buddy up to? You have to have a really solid mix of those, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And when somebody is looking, even from a financial perspective, at partnering with Blackshell Media, how do you go about just saying, you know, this is what our business model looks like, this is how we, uh, you know, benefit developers? What does that uh, look like from a financial side? Sure. Uh, so it, again, depends on a case-to-case -case basis, depending on the game and how far along it is and, you mm -hmm. know, the needs of the developer and things like that. But uh, typically, we, you know, for publishing, we work on a revenue share basis, so for every dollar uh, the game brings in, for example, you know, the developer will get 70% and we'll get 30%. And in exchange, we're providing, you know, enough services and consultation and testing and marketing and social media and QA and all these kinds of things that uh, we definitely feel more than makes up for the amount of revenue that we're taking from them. Um, because it is, you know, it's a shared, uh, definitely a shared process where we're putting in time and energy, the developer's putting in time and energy, and we make sure that we are sharing that along the way. What's cool about that approach as well, taking the revenue share, um, is that if there are any expenditures or investments that have to be made into the game, so for example, we want to, you know, do a complete visual overhaul of the game, we want to, you know, redo all the sprites and get some snazzy animations in there, it's not only on the developer to pay for that, we actually help with the developer's help the developers not only uh, find you know, these artists and find these animators because we have such a vast network, but also pay for them. So if we're splitting revenue 70-30, we'll, you know, the developer will be liable for 70% of that and we'll take on 30% of that. And we make sure to share as much of the, not only the income, but also the expenses and the work and the journey with the developer. Because again, like I said, it is a partnership, so we're in it um, together. How does a company that is so young and so new go from having eight games in the summer steam sale to having 60 games in the summer steam sale do you seek them all out do they come to you uh, how did that work it was kind of a mix honestly i think the first couple of games it was a lot of you know 
we were just kind of tentatively reading, reaching out to games that we found interesting, you know, on GameJolt or on itch.io or just, you know, on Reddit, wherever it was that we found them, emailing them and saying, hey, man, this looks like such an awesome game. Uh, I would love to work with you on this. You know, so a couple of our very early titles like Dino System, Pizza Express, uh, those, you know, I have very close relationships with those developers because we've been working with them for so long and because, you know, we really did kind of quote-unquote, discover them, so to speak. So, you know, Simone, the developer of Pizza Express, him and I regularly are chatting on Discord and, you know, just hanging out and stuff. Um, and it's a very nice relationship. But there are also games that take a much more traditional, I guess, sales, so to speak, approach, where, you know, they'll email us and then we'll kind of, you know, email back and forth with them. Uh, we, we do a lot of, like I said, we have a lot of content with the blog and the podcast, so we get a lot of emails from developers that want to work with us. Um, and through that, you know, we vet the games, we test them out ourselves, we always make sure to play the games before we, uh, you know, give a verdict about whether or not we want to publish them. But uh, it's quite, it's honestly a mix. I think a lot of people ask us, you know, do the bulk of people that you work with, do you seek them out or do they come to you? I'd estimate it would probably be... 50-50, I think, honestly. It kind of shifts depending on, you know, the time of the year. Um, so right before the winter sale, for example, in, and right before the summer sale, you don't see a lot of brand new titles coming out because they know that they're just going to be, you know, enshrouded by the sale. So at that time, it's usually us kind of researching the games and, like, figuring out which ones we want to reach out to for after the sale. Whereas, you know, in kind of the slower months when people are making the games, and especially during summer. I mean, summer is crazy because then you have all the student developers and all the hobbyist developers who really have a lot more time on their hands because they're off of school, um, who can, you know, dedicate a lot more hours to the project. So then we get a lot more people reaching out to us. But it's a pretty healthy mix, honestly, I'd say. And I, I like it that way as well because then not only do we get to seek out the games that we like and that we want to publish, um, but we also make sure that we're not kind of limiting and, uh, like, pigeonholing ourselves, if that makes sense, into, you know, only seeking out a certain type of game. So it's nice to kind of hear out, hear back from, or hear from uh, a developer who's making something totally wacky and, you know, out there that we would never publish, but it's cool that we at least got to hear from them and emailed back and forth with them, and even if we don't publish a game, we try it out, we give as much feedback as we can to the developer, and uh, try and figure out ways that we can help them. So obviously, Blackshell Media as a company spends a lot of time on Steam, right? Putting mm -hmm. a lot of games out on this platform. Uh, what do you think about Steam and spending so much time putting so many games out and so many projects out on such an open platform uh, and one that, frankly, is so full right now? What are your feelings on that? Mm, that's a great question. Um, yeah, we definitely work very closely with Steam, and I have a very good relationship with the guys over there uh, that I'm working with. Uh, it's been pretty helpful. I mean, Steam, I think they're very smart, obviously, the guys that are running the Steam store and the guys that are working with indies, um, guys and gals, of course, I use guys generally, uh, they're very smart people, they understand, you know, the market, they definitely understand the Steam store and they understand what, what'll do well. So I think, in terms of my experience as a developer and as a publisher working with them, it's been very good. They're very responsive to emails and support, and they're always, you know, helpful, uh, not only in giving advice for how to use the platform, but also things like, you know, what kind of strategy should we use to discount our games? And, I've, you know, some developers, um, if they're doing too aggressive a pricing strategy or a discount strategy, for example, Valve, while they won't, you know, kind of come in and force them to stop doing that, they'll definitely give advice, and they have amazing documentation. I think, I don't think you need... Actually, I don't remember if you need an account. Uh, I, I think if you're not a Steamworks developer, you can't see it. But if you are a Steamworks developer, or if you can find the documentation somewhere else online, definitely take a look through, because the documentation they provide for not only technical things like integrating Steam SDKs and um, APIs and everything, but also just for best practices on the platform, super well documented. It's a really great experience. As far as the market itself, I don't know. It's very controversial, I feel like. I feel like there's always been a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of flack. 
uh, that Steam gets for various things, Greenlight being the biggest one, of course. Um, and I mean, it is, you know, it's 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 hard. I think it's they're kind of in a they're kind of in like a sure. a damned if they do, damned if they don't situation, you know, where if they don't have something like Greenlight out there where it's so open, like you said, and anybody can get on there, then they're going to get a lot of flack for it's, oh, you know, it's a closed platform and indies can't get on there. But if they do have Greenlight and it's as open as it is, then it's, oh, you're allowing all kinds of garbage on there. So I feel like they can't really win, you know, no matter what they do, it's going to be very hard to... Um, to win, because I mean, if you look at even twenty years ago, the ecosystem for the concept of an indie <laughs> game was not didn't really exist. I mean, unless you were unless you ran a factory in China and you were bootlegging Lion King games or something, like you weren't really there was no concept of being an indie developer as much. Uh, whereas nowadays, you know, any old Joe Schmo can download a copy of Unity and make a game, and with that, of course, um, comes a lot of challenges for people like Steam. I feel like. So let me ask you this then: Do you feel, uh, as the co-founder of a indie publishing company Mm -hmm. do you feel that your games are being seen enough do you feel like you're generating enough revenue through this platform Mm, that's a good question definitely you know a huge influx of games on steam i think something like 40 percent of all games on steam came out last year do you you see that stat that was crazy i saw that yeah it was insane Uh um i mean that's a hard question i feel like I feel like I, as a business guy, I should never say, yes, we're making enough money we don't need anymore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there, I'll answer the question the way you intended it to be answered. I think it's becoming increasingly more and more challenging to figure out ways to stand out, especially because we do uh, publish a lot of, like I said, bread and butter titles. So the action platformers, the roguelikes, the RPGs, we do a lot of that. And that's there's definitely a lot of those uh, on Steam. So I think it is hard to make the game stand out. Um, I don't think it's significantly harder than it was two years ago. I don't think it's, you know, like, back then anybody could get on the platform, anybody could make a million bucks or whatever it is. It definitely wasn't, and it isn't today, and it's not that much harder. It's just a question of, you know, how do you distinguish yourself um, as a game launching on Steam when there are, like, 50 or 60 other titles launching within a five-day window of you launching, you know? And I think the biggest thing is vying for the attention of influencers and streamers and YouTubers and things like that. So... There's definitely, I mean, there's there's no limit, uh, so to speak, to how many games any reviewer or any streamer can play, for example, right? I mean, I'm sure these streamers that are doing 24-hour streams and stuff, God bless their souls because 24-hour streams are hard, but these streamers <laughs> that are doing 24-hour streams, uh, they're always looking for more games to play. But if they've just played, you know, three different action roguelikes and I'm sending them three more action roguelikes, they're probably going to want to mix it up and they're not going to give as much preference to my titles. Uh, so it is a little harder to get the attention of the key influencers, especially because... I mean, every indie developer's dream is, oh, I want PewDiePie to play my game, or I want Markiplier to play my game, you know? So, those guys, I can only imagine what their inboxes must be like every morning. <laughs> Holy crap. Like, God, yeah. Definitely gotta be thousands. I mean, you're a journalist, right? I'm sure you get a lot of um, a lot of emails, too. You know, I actually do get a lot of emails. Um, for yeah. those who don't know, I do also work at Bago Games, uh, the senior reviews editor over there. Um, and yeah, I do. I receive a lot of games, and it's hard to figure out, you know, where your time's going to be spent because there are just so many games in this industry right now. Mm-hmm, uh, so it's definitely interesting to look at. But it's interesting to talk to a company who's making it their business to adapt and figure out how that works and how to put these games in front of people. So uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And there's also, you know, just to comment a little more on that and to give a shout out to uh, Devolver Digital, there are definitely two, I think, two ways to help your game stand out uh, in this kind of very, you know, 
inundated and one of my call it oversaturated I don't want to you know use that word indie apocalypse or whatever because I don't I don't know about that but <laughs> in an oversaturated market there are definitely I think two ways to make your game stand out and this is true of any market it's not just in gaming I think one is to double down on the traditional so if you're doing social media you know double down on the social media post a lot tweeted influencers if you're doing email make sure you're doing a lot of follow-ups and crafting really good emails if you're doing you know influencer stuff make sure you're targeting the right people and just kind of doubling down on what's traditional and then you can kind of do what Devolver does, which is doing what's traditional, of course, but then also instead of like focusing 100% on that, trying these, you know, really crazy viral marketing techniques. So at TwitchCon, one of the guys from Devolver that we were chatting with, um, they did, they were on live stream and they had, uh, they, two of them were playing, I forget which game it was they were playing, but they were playing some game and one of the guys like punched the other guy in the face on live stream and his nose was like bleeding. Um, and they do all kinds of crazy publicity stunts, you know, to get these this attention, which is awesome. Oh, I think wow. it's really great. I think that's where, you know, as a marketing geek, I love seeing these kinds of, you know, stunts and uh, <laughs> these PR tricks and seeing what people are doing to get attention because I think it's fantastic and I'd love to figure out ways to do that ourselves. But I think for us, we're definitely trying to stick to a more, you know, traditional approach, but we are um, definitely looking into doing these, you know, these crazy viral marketing things that Devolver is so good at. <laughs> Well, I will say, probably as an important note, that I don't believe Roghoff condones violence no, on, uh, <laughs> on live streams or anything like that. But, uh, yes, I do get your point, so thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, and I also, know. Again, you know, Devolver, if you're listening, I'm sorry for blowing the blowing your cover, but that was staged, that punch, by the way. It was fake blood and everything, and that was... <laughs> oh, so I'm much, sure. As right. is expected, I'm, not, I'm pretty sure you're not going to punch your coworker on live stream and be like, oh, yeah, it's great, <laughs> buy our games now. <laughs> but no, I definitely, definitely not trying to send a message to any indie developers that if you want to succeed, you've got to beat somebody up. But uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, things like that, you know, where it's very out there doing these kind of PR campaigns. There was, um, I saw there was some thread on Reddit, or I forget what it was, but it might have been Devolver, actually, but there was some game where you play, and if you've heard of this, uh, correct me if I'm completely off base, but there was some game where I think you play as, like, a truck driver or something, like a pickup truck driver, and you drive around, and it was some kind of, like, racing or simulator game, and what the developers did, or what the PR studio did, was they basically invited journalists to take a ride in the back of an actual, you know, flatbread, flatbread, uh, not flatbread, flatbed, or like a pickup <laughs> truck of some kind, and play the game in the back of the truck while driving around through town and stuff. Um, oh, I and I thought that. that was like, did you hear about that? No, I didn't. That's oh, insane. I, it was it was somewhere on Reddit, and it might have been an idea that somebody shared. It might have been something that someone actually did. I don't remember. Uh, if somebody knows, please you know leave a comment below or shoot me an email because I would love to find that thread again. But that's the kind of stuff that I think is super cool, and that's the kind of stuff that will get your games a lot of attention, you know? Well, and one thing I will say, it can be something big like that. It can also be something small. I pulled up, mm -hmm. actually, an email that I got over at Bago Games from Black Shell Media, uh, and I always know I'm getting a Black Shell Media email because the subject line is something like, I never really liked facial hair, but then it grew on me. <laughs> and that's it. And I have to click on it and read about uh, Rogue Stash, a new game that just came out um, from Black Shell Media earlier this month. Um, but it's just, it's little things like that that uh, can catch attention. So I do appreciate how you guys do that. Thanks. Yeah, we're trying. I think the subject line is certainly the most, uh, you know, the most important part of any email. I mean, we, uh, sometimes when we're... Uh, when we're, uh, you know, just kind of hanging out and we definitely like to look through emails that we've gotten or emails that we find online that are just like, you know, horror stories of PR and press releases and, you know, emailing people in general. Like, people are just emailing all kinds of nonsense and subject lines. And I'm like, look, that's like, I think having a great subject line and being able to hook people, you know, like you said, with either something really big as, as a PR stunt, as something as big as a PR stunt or something as small as a smart subject line, being able to hook somebody and catch someone's attention is the most important thing, definitely. 
Well, we've been talking about the Steam platform and, and how to stand out on there, but I know that Blackshell Media as a company has also been looking into branching out into the console space and taking some games uh, possibly over to uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and what that looks like. So can you share a little bit about uh, you know what you guys have been looking at, what you're thinking about the console space, and, and what your thoughts are on that uh, space in the industry right now? Yeah, absolutely. So our first title on Xbox just launched, uh, I believe, two or three weeks ago. Uh, Acorn Assault Road and Revolution It's out now on Xbox. The oh, feedback's okay. been pretty great. Uh, we've had a lot of streamers that do Xbox streaming uh, reach out to us for keys and things like that, and I think the feedback has been generally pretty favorable. Um, as far as what it means for indies, the console space is certainly less saturated than the PC space because it does take some time and work, uh, and there's a bit of who you know involved in getting your games on there. But uh, once you get on there, there's definitely a lot of opportunity to stand out. So I know that you know games that launch on the Xbox Store, for example, there aren't nearly as many as that as there are that launch on Steam. I think they send out a week uh, monthly newsletter to all the developers, kind of listing a couple of the new titles that launched that month. And I think the most I ever saw launch in any given month was something like 20 or 30. You know, like that's how many games are launching every month. And again, if somebody from Microsoft or somebody listening knows of a more accurate statistic, correct me if I'm wrong. But it's, you know, far fewer titles than they're on Steam, for sure. So I think there's definitely more chance to stand out. And the platforms also provide a lot of marketing support to the developers, where, you know, the, you can email back and forth with your correspondence at Xbox. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, just commenting about why I'm talking about Xbox, we are partnered with Sony, and we're partnered with Nintendo. We don't have any titles out for them yet, and we haven't worked as closely with them, so I'm going to talk mostly about Microsoft, who we have been working more closely with. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, they're very helpful. You know, they respond to emails quickly. They have a lot of, you know, mixers and events and uh, training sessions and things like that, and resources, not training sessions, like uh, meetups and, you know, workshops, I think. Uh, at uh, different kinds of meetups and events that they offer for developers. So they're definitely trying to foster that community and they're trying to foster that sense of support for the developers, which I think is something that they do a lot better than Steam does. Uh, not default Steam, because, I mean, if you're launching, like, 8,000 games a year or something like that, you know, it's hard to provide support for every single one of them, especially when a lot are non-US-based and don't speak that good of English. Um, sure. And, you know, it's like, again, it's, it's a tricky situation where you have so many games... Um, you have, and I didn't mean that, I just realized that comment sounded vaguely racist where it's like you can't help <laughs> foreigners that don't speak English, but I just meant in the sense that, you know, developers who might not understand the marketing ecosystem, who might not understand how these processes work as well. Um, so I apologize for any foreign, you know, non-English speakers if I offended you. I really didn't mean to. It's all right. You put that in there. We're, we're, we're good. We'll yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, no, it is interesting to hear, and I know, uh, obviously, if people want to, they can jump back an episode to episode 18 of Indie Insider and listen to uh, some of your thoughts on the Nintendo Switch announcement that came out last week. You were mm -hmm. on uh, the episode as a guest last week with Sarah Dukakos of Archiac and also Mark Soderwall of Indie Game University, so be sure to go back and check that out. Um, but, of course, I'm here talking with Raghav personally, uh, not the Canadian singer-songwriter, <laughs> um, known for a song called Angel Eyes, uh, but I'm talking to Rocco. <laughs> Where'd you find? Did you, did you just Google my name and that came up, or that's the first thing that comes up? Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty good. Uh, for those of you listening who don't know, my name Raghav Mathur. Uh, I share that name, like exact same first and last name, with a Canadian Indian R&B pop star um, who looks nothing like me and who sounds nothing like me. He has a beautiful <laughs> voice. Uh, he's a great singer. I remember several years ago, I was in India. Um, 
I'm from India originally, and I have family there. And I was walking through like a music store or something, and I, st I literally stumbled upon this cassette, and it said Raghav on it in big letters. And I was like, oh crap, that's pretty cool. Let me listen to myself, whatever. And then I realized he has the same first and last name as me, and his music is so bomb. And I was obsessed, you know, ever since then. <laughs> um, the only downside is that I think he owns Raghav.com, which I really want to buy because I think that would be so cool. Uh, I think it's Raghav.com. I don't remember what his website is, but it was something like that where I wanted to buy Raghav.com and it was owned by him. But uh, one day, one day. I think I'm about to surpass him in Twitter followers, so I'm pretty happy about that. Oh, wow. But, uh... Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I typed in Raghav.com. I seem to be on some sort of music website. So Yeah. His yeah, songs are great, though. I mean, shout out to Raghav. <laughs> I mean, if you ever want to collaborate on a game, dude, if you're listening for whatever reason, I would be so down. <laughs> well, uh... I want to jump back just a little bit and, and not let uh, something go. So we talked a little bit about email. We talked about how important the subject line was. And you mentioned um, really following along uh, and following up on, on emails and, and kind of just really putting yourself out in front of people. How do you balance sending out a lot of emails, a lot of press releases, especially with so many projects, and especially on social media with Twitter or something like that, but not, uh, quote, unquote, spamming? people. I know uh, Blackshell Media actually manages a couple of different Twitter accounts that put a lot of information out there and obviously, you know, we also have the blog that puts a lot of information out there and there's games that put a lot of information out there. How do you manage uh, not being too overwhelming with what you're putting out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a good question. It's something that we've been uh, asked and uh, critiqued on a lot is that we do work with a lot of games, we work with a lot of projects, and we are putting out a lot of content. We're very aggressive with our outreach. Um, the thing is also, so Earlier on, like between the Summer Cell 2015 and 2016, like I mentioned, we went from 8 to, I think, like 68 titles um, on Steam. During that time when we were rapidly expanding and trying, you know, to get games and launch a lot of games to get our name out there as a publisher, we definitely were, you know, taking on a lot of titles and being less picky about it and trying to just send out as many emails and, you know, post as many tweets as we could. And so I think a lot of... Um, we definitely were very uh, aggressive with our outreach, I'll put it that way, uh, both to developers and, you know, on social media and stuff. Uh, but that being said, that was just, again, like I said, to get our feet wet so we could get our name out there, uh, make some connections, meet some developers, and kind of figure out what we wanted our rhythm to be. Uh, once we figured that out, you know, we, we certainly dialed it back with the number of games that we were publishing. And now we're really, you know, kind of limiting the amount of titles that we're taking on so that we can focus more individually on each IP. Uh, but of course, uh, even then the challenge has remained of, you know, how do we make sure that we're promoting all our titles and how do we make sure that we are getting the word out without being too aggressive with our outreach. And I think it's, first of all, with the Twitter thing, uh, we do manage, you know, a lot of social media accounts. We manage the uh, a collection of promo accounts, uh, Indie Game Life, Indie Game Boost, and a couple of uh, accounts like that. Um, what we've done is make sure to explicitly, you know, mark accounts that are for promotion as promo accounts. So you know how they have those like game dev bots and like, you know, if you use hashtag whatever, we'll retweet you. Uh, we just do shout outs for all these games when we make, post a bunch of stuff. We've made sure to label the accounts as promo accounts. So if people don't want to follow them and just get like, because those, those accounts, they do tweet a lot. You know, they tweet like 30 or 40, I think, times a day about new indie games and things like that. And for sure. a lot of people that follow those accounts, they love it. You know, they love seeing these new titles. They love seeing cute screenshots, you know, hamsters in space. I'm all over it. Um, and so they love it. <laughs> But for a lot of people, if you don't like that kind of content and it seems like a bit much, that's totally fine. We've made sure to separate our accounts. Uh, so if you want to hear from us about our games, we're definitely going to post about it, you know, on at Blackshell Media and on all of our personal accounts. But we will not, you know, be posting as aggressively as we would on a promotion account because, again, they're promotion accounts. They happen. They, there's so many accounts like that on Twitter for music and movies and even in gaming, right? There's a lot of those like, you know, game dev bot RT and things like that right, um, sure. that retweet game dev posts like 
thousands of times a day and stuff. I think I I saw one of those bots and it had like six hundred thousand tweets or something, and I was like, oh my god, like that's crazy. Yeah. But Game Dev is a popular yeah, yeah. hashtag. I mean, it's a huge community. But it um, is definitely. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say you're absolutely right, and I think it's important that. Uh, you know that's a huge way in which people communicate and put things out there. So uh, you know it would be, uh, you would be remiss as the co-founder of a publishing company to not take advantage of that in some capacity, right? Mm. <laughs> uh, but it's finding you know that balance, making sure people, uh, I guess, have the information required to you know find what they want to find without, I guess, being overwhelmed. Yeah, definitely. And with that, again, if you're putting out a lot of content for a lot of games like we are, it becomes a question of. Again, like I mentioned, you know, we have these selection criteria for what games we're taking on and promoting, making sure that we are, you know, putting out titles that are quality, and especially in terms of appearance. I mean, if you're going to post about something on Twitter with screenshots and GIFs and videos, yes, I say GIFs, please don't, you know, castrate me for it. Um, <laughs> it's about making sure that, you know, it looks pretty, making sure that it is quality content, making sure that what we're putting out there is appealing to people. And this is true for any game developer. I think if you're going to be posting about your game on social media, if you're going to be emailing journalists and influencers, you want to make sure that what you're presenting is polished and represents you honestly and in a good light. If you're going to send out, you know, crappy screenshots from your alpha of your character sitting in some dark corner of your 3D game, it's not going to show off your game very well. But if you show off a really beautiful landscape with your character front and center holding some awesome weapons, that's a lot more evocative and a lot more powerful for promotion. Um, but yeah, that's just some general advice. But I think we definitely try and make sure that we're putting out, you know, quality uh, content, making sure that we're mixing it up, certainly. So, you know, if we're posting about a game or if we're doing a campaign for a game's launch, we're not going to keep posting about it and we're not going to keep emailing people for that long. It'll be, you know, a couple of days, maybe a week tops um, during that launch period so that we're making sure to keep it, you know, keep it like, make sure that people aren't getting too overwhelmed with that. Because I'm sure, you know, as a journalist, you get an email for um, a game and you think, oh, that might be cool, you know, whatever. Maybe I'll just uh, shelve it for later. You get a follow-up email within a week just kind of reminding you about it. Oh, that's cool. You know, maybe it reminds you and you get to play it. But if you get, like, an email every two days for three weeks reminding you to play this game, that's going to start annoying you. And you're at that point, you don't want to cover it because it's annoyed you so much. So yeah. I definitely think it's about, you know, striking a balance of am I putting myself out there enough and am I marketing adequately without, like you said, being too spammy. And I think that's something that a lot of developers um, also have to struggle with. I met a lot of uh, developers, especially ones that are new to Twitter, that are saying, you know, I'm retweeting all these people and I'm tweeting at influencers and I'm sharing content and I'm sharing updates, but I feel like I'm, you know, putting out way too much. Uh, how do I tell, how can I tell if I'm putting out too much content on Twitter? If you want to tell if you're being too aggressive with your outreach on Twitter and, you know, on other places, you could just ask, you know, you could put out a poll on Twitter saying, am I posting too much and have your... Um, your followers, you know, comment on it, you could just, you know, kind of gauge the response. If somebody's tweeting back at you often, you could just kind of shoot them a DM, and if you trust them, just say, hey, you know, am I sharing enough content? Is there more that you guys would like to see? I mean, maybe you don't come out and be like, am I being too spammy or whatever, but you could say, you know, <laughs> am I posting enough about my screenshots? Am I do, you want, do you guys want to see more GIFs? Do you guys want to see more videos? Do you guys want to see more of this? And if the response is favorable, people are saying, yes, I'm eating up this content, please keep sharing it, then great, you know, you're doing fine. But if the, con if the response is a little like, eh, I don't know if we want to see that much more, then it might be worth kind of dialing it back and figuring out where to find that sweet spot, you know? So I, I'm a big fan of um, the ask method, so to speak, where you, instead of, you know, trying to do extensive, you know, all kinds of market research and analyze different Twitter feeds and this and that, just come out and ask, make a poll, say like, should I share more about 
my should I share more gifs about my game? Yes or no? If a bunch of people say no, okay, great, no more gifs. I'll post more videos. You know, and then you ask, should I share more videos about my game? People say yes, great. You know, the videos are coming in. So I'm a big fan of just being upfront, honest, transparent, and f asking your community what they want to see because at the end of the day, that's what's most important, right? Like it doesn't matter what you think is cool. Um, it matters what is going to appeal to the audience. And if that's also what you think is cool, then that's great. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the sweet spot, right? Yeah, exactly. You got to cool. make sure that you're not, you know, kind of losing your own integrity, but you got to make sure that you are um, appealing to what the masses want. So you mentioned a little bit about um, maybe being a little more selective in who you're working with now and, and maybe dialing back uh, your amount of offerings at a certain point, I suppose. Um, what is what do you think the mentality is behind that? Is it a quality over quantity type of thing now that the company's a little more established? Yeah, certainly. I definitely think it's a, a quality over quantity kind of thing. I think when you're starting out, you definitely have to make a splash, you know, especially in a space like indie gaming uh, where there are so many companies and so many developers out there. We wanted to kind of, again, and at that point also, you know, we were just starting out with the idea of publishing you know we didn't even know that this could be a successful and a viable career path for us we were just honestly just saying hey you know maybe we can offer these services to people um and people started biting and people started biting you know in troves and we said hey you know let's uh let's is is that the right phrase in troves is that a thing in droves uh, is that... droves? droves droves i think it's droves okay I think I'm, so too. <laughs> I'm still sleeping i guess <laughs> so my uh i'm sure i'm not this is not the best podcast but i'm trying my best <laughs> no you're doing but, fine um, it's great but people are, you know, people are reaching out to us in droves, and we wanted to make sure that we were able to, you know, so to speak, like, take our services and our publishing offerings for a test drive, if that makes sense. You know, just kind of with as many test drives as possible, and we are taking on all these titles with all kinds of genres. It's like, we want to see what we can do with a horror game, and with an RPG, and with an action game, and with this and that. And, uh, you know, we were, like I said, less selective about the titles that we were taking on. Um, of course... Even two years ago, you know, when we started looking at these games, there were far fewer titles out there, so we didn't have... Um, that's, not, that's not completely accurate, but it, it was... Um, they, were, they were not that... They were, it wasn't like all these developers vying for attention, so the ones that... The developers that had finished their games and that wanted to come forward and, you know, get promotion for it were very easily accessible to us because there weren't as many of them as there are now, you know? So we were just trying to reach out and help as many people as possible, and I think that did rub some people the wrong way because if you looked at our catalog it was what we thought was cool experimenting with a bunch of horror games a bunch of action games a bunch of rpgs looked to the public as like you know we didn't have a clear voice we didn't have a clear kind of theme among our games and so that's kind of what we realized you know over uh, over time where the way we were treating these games and the way that we were looking at these games wasn't exactly what was ideal in terms of the response from gamers, in terms of the response from developers that wanted to work with us. Whereas now, because we've kind of you know cut back on all the titles, a lot of the titles that we're working with, um, and we're trying to we're continually trying to make sure that our publishing deal uh, is as beneficial to the developer as possible. Because we've been on that side of uh, of of the the conversation before. You know, we were developers for two years, three years before we were publishers, and we know you know what kind of what our needs were and what we were struggling with and what most developers are struggling with because we talked to a lot of developers you know through the podcast and through the blog and things like that so we're definitely trying to take community feedback into consideration we're trying to ask the public you know like i said earlier we're trying to ask the public what they want to see and what you know we're doing well what we're not doing so well and it's definitely been it's been a learning process uh, for all of us i think we've uh, we've never done anything quite like this before so it's been right. uh, a very dynamic and a very um 
flexible process, I'll put it that way, where we are continually reaching out to the community for feedback, reaching out to mentors, reaching out to fellow developers, you know, talking to subreddits, talking to people on Twitter and trying to figure out, you know, what are we doing well, what aren't we doing so well. And people seem to really like the blog and the podcast, so that's one area where we've definitely been doubling down, you know, putting out all kinds of content, uh, sending out emails to our newsletter list that are targeted and that we're We've done a lot of, you know, surveying of our newsletter lists and things like that, asking them, you know, what kind of content do you want to see from us? Help me help you, so to speak. Um, and people seem to be really be digging it. I mean, the response has been great so far from the blog and everything. The podcast has been fantastic, thanks to our excellent host, Logan. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've been really working on projects that, uh, that people are liking and uh, trying to figure out, you know, how to improve things that people aren't liking as much, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's great to hear that you are, I guess, taking a critical look at uh, what, you know, Black Shell Media has been over the past couple of years and looking at how to, you know, address some areas that you want to work on and how to build on things that are working well. Um, I think it's really great to to hear that you're putting that first and making that a priority for your company. So, um, yeah, it's exciting stuff to listen to. Thank you. And, yeah. We, sorry. That's right, yeah, we, we definitely it's been it's been hard. You know, it's been it's definitely hard to, uh, you know, take that kind of a hard critical look at what you've been doing and realize that you may not have been going about things the right way. But uh, I think in the long run, it's definitely going to be a lot better that we've gone through this process as opposed to having not gone through this process, you know? Tell me a little bit about the blogs. You Obviously, uh, that's a major thing that you and I jointly uh, work on, myself with the podcast that is a part of the blog and, and also Black Show Media uh, as a whole. But also, this blog you put out, uh, it constantly has offerings in terms of articles and think pieces for you know aspiring developers, um, you know, people looking for information on uh, indie publishing, and you know how to how to make a game. What's mm -hmm. the thought process behind putting all of that out there? Uh, quite frankly, it's because. And one thing that you'll notice, uh, Logan, and one thing that our listeners will notice as well is that if you go to our blog, any of our articles, there is very little um, mention of Black Shell Media. There's very little, you know, if any at all. I think most of our articles don't have any mention of Black Shell Media, don't have any kind of call to action at the bottom of like, come work with us, hire us, publish with us, whatever it is. We are 100% focused on the educational aspect of things, and I'll tell you why. It's very simple. If we can teach people and help people make better games, then there are better games out there in the ecosystem, and that means there are better games that we get to then, you know, potentially reach out to to work with. I'm not as concerned with, you know, we get a lot of emails from developers and we're emailing developers and we're reaching out to people and we're going to enough conventions that we have a, a steady stream of, you know, potential clients and potential partners to work with. So I'm not as worried about using the blog, blog excuse me, as a means of, oh, you know, I've got to make sure that I publish every single reader's game and I want to, you know, suck their wallets dry or whatever. It's not about that for me. It's about making sure that the community is enriched, making sure that the community understands the direction that they should be taking. And again, the people that we're having write for us on the blog and the people that we're having do guest posts on the blog are industry veterans, you know, ex-games journalists, games writers, uh, marketing people, business people. We have a lot of guest posts from, you know, prominent figureheads in the industry. And I love hearing about all these perspectives and helping developers just understand, you know, the market, understand how to make better games. Because I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as competition in the business sense in the indie gaming space. Because... If one indie game, um, you know, people always ask, like, oh, do you guys, do your games, like, compete with Devolver's games? You know, like, Dungeon Souls and Enter the Gungeon are pretty similar. Like, are you worried people are going to buy Gungeon instead of this? And I always tell them, no, not really. Because with something like, uh, the example I always give is the car industry, right? The car industry is probably one of the most cutthroat industries for competition. Because when someone buys a car, they're only buying, you know, one car at any given time. So 
if Nissan and Chevy are both vying for your attention, they're going to fight like hell to make sure their games, their, excuse me, not their games, their cars, <laughs> uh, get out in front of the other uh, company's cars. And they're going to make sure that they are focused on selling their car. And they don't care as much about what the other car manufacturers do. If all the other car manufacturers, you know, go to, like, just completely stop making good games, uh, good, I keep saying games, if they stop making good cars, um, then that's good news for, for Nissan, for example, because now their cars are the only ones in the market. Whereas in indie gaming, if Devolver is putting out really awesome, you know, dungeon-crawling roguelike games, that's great because now people know about the dungeon-crawling roguelike genre and they want more of it. They want to buy not only Enter the Gungeon, but also Dungeon Souls and Nuclear Throne and Overture and all these games that, you know, many of which we offer. And I think that this what's cool about gaming is that people aren't limited to buying, you know, just the one game of any given genre. I mean, who looks at their library and has 12 games, you know, one action game, one adventure game, one this, one that? Like, no, you know, we have, people have hundreds, if not thousands of games in their library many of which are very similar. And so I think by enriching the community and making sure that every developer that's putting games out there is succeeding and is making a splash and getting the word out about their game, everyone is going to benefit in the long run. I think that's what's really cool. Well, Raghav, tell me just a little bit about what you see for the future of Blackshell Media. We've talked a lot about you know, the beginning of the company, what you guys are working on now to continue to grow and continue to develop into the company you really want to be. What's next? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I don't know. I mean, we're open to feedback. We're constantly brainstorming, trying to figure out what's next. Right now, I think we don't have any kind of definite, you know, we want to branch into this field and we want to do X, Y, Z. I think what we want to do is do better in every aspect of what we're doing. You know, whether it's the blog, putting out better content, whether it's the podcast, making sure we have great guests and great, you know, panels for people, whether it's um, reaching out to developers, making sure we're targeting the right people, whether it's selling our games, making sure that consumers are hearing about it. We just want to be making sure that every aspect and every project that we do, we're doing well, I think. But in terms of, um, you know, hard and fast, uh, actual, you know, things that we want to work on. One big thing that we want to start offering developers is funding. We want to basically, we don't want to turn into an accelerator, but we definitely want to be able to offer funding to our developers because I know a lot of developers that come to us are working part-time on the game and being able to kind of, you know, cut back on the hours for their day job and work more on the game by means of having funding for the game would be really beneficial for them. And I think that's what we want to tap into is, um, that's one of the big advantage, I think, of Devolver. Devolver, you know, they take on very few games, but for each one, they're putting a lot of money into those projects, and they're making sure that they have the one-on-one attention they deserve. They're making sure they can get, you know, spaces at conventions, making sure they can do all kinds of things that you get when you have a lot of money. So we're trying to reach out to investors. We're trying to figure out ways to kind of repurpose our resources, you know, both financial and non-financial, to make sure that we are able to provide the support to developers uh, that they deserve. So one thing is, you know, we're looking this year potentially to run a couple of Kickstarter campaigns. Last year we didn't really run any, uh, maybe a couple, but we didn't really, I don't think we ran any Kickstarter campaigns, like, formally last year. Um, this year, we're, I think we're looking, we're talking to a couple of our key developers who are looking for funding for the next projects, and we're going to try and run a couple of Kickstarters, we're going to try and reach out to private investors, so I think it's a lot more about providing more value to the developer and making sure that we can uh, help accelerate these projects and make sure that they are as polished as possible coming to the market. Well, every episode of Indie Insider, of course, ends with the guest that I have on the show sharing a piece of advice with the listening audience and those aspiring indie developers out there. Now, of course, Rakav, you've already shared some pretty great insight this week in this episode on uh, marketing and on, well, building a company and, and what that really means and, and what you want to be looking for. So thank you so much for that. But if there's anything else you want to send listeners home with, now's the time. What do you think? 
my number one piece of advice that I always give every developer is just learn. Be hungry for knowledge and be thirsty for knowledge. And in order to succeed in this market or in any market or in any industry, in order to succeed in any industry, you need to understand that industry. You need to understand the way it works and you need to understand how to take advantage of it and how to position yourself well. I think in indie developing, in indie development, getting a good knowledge could be anything from learning Unity, you know, every single function, every single script, making sure you understand how it works. It could be learning marketing, making sure you understand how to run a social media account and how to divvy up your time. It could be, you know, talking to games journalists and figuring out, you know, what they want and learning from the community and learning from the influencers. But I think learning is so paramount above everything else because once you understand what you're doing and how to make the most of it, anything is possible, I think. Um, and I think that's where, you know, Devolver, that's why they've succeeded, I think, is because they have so much experiential learning uh, that's benefited them greatly. I mean, before they started Devolver, uh, a bunch of those guys were working at larger AAA studios. They were working with, you know, bigger budget titles, and they were talking to a lot of people. And so when they came to the indie space, uh, they had the advantage of a huge network of people and mentors they could turn to, and also all this experience and all this learning. And I think that's what's really important for indie developers to understand, is that if you learn enough, and if you take advantage of all the resources, you know, educational and uh, human-wise, that you, that you have in terms of influencers and mentors, I think that's the truly the key to success. This, of course, has been Raghav Mather of Blackshell Media, co-founder of the company, and uh, he's been speaking with us about uh, the birth of this company, his own personal story, uh, marketing your video game, and, of course, continuing to learn in the industry. Raghav, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I do appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Logan. I hope our listeners um, understand a little more, you know, where we're coming from with Blackshell Media, and I would love to... Uh, you know, if anyone wants to email Logan or email into us to just chat about anything I mentioned here, I'd be happy to do that. Of course. Well, this, of course, is the Indie Insider Podcast. It is presented by Blackshell Media, uh, which we've talked about extensively this week. Uh, and, of course, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email me, Logan, at BlackshellMedia.com, or connect with me on Twitter, uh, Logan A. Schultz. And, Raghav, if people want to connect with you, how do they find you out on those interwebs? My email is raghav at blackshellmedia.com. If you can't spell that based on just hearing it, don't worry about it. Most people can't. So just go to blackshellmedia.com and go to the About page. My email is right there. And uh, my Twitter handle is at Zanasha, X-I-N-A-S-H-A. Excellent. Well, Raghav, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Make sure you, listeners, stay tuned. Uh, We will see you next week with all brand new episodes of this podcast. Thank you very much. (laughs) 